Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. So good to be with you this Easter Sunday. Thank you for joining us wherever you are across New Zealand or across the world. This morning I want to talk about the resurrection of Christ and its role and its importance to us as believers. And our reading therefore is from John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 1 to 10. It says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Today is one, if not the most magnificent day of the year in the Christian calendar. Easter Sunday, the day on which we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior and Lord, the culmination of the Easter story for the resurrection of Jesus is at the heart of our message. It is the climax of the passion narrative found in all four Gospels and is the center of the redemption story itself. It is the reason we are gathered today around our devices and that indeed it is why we are a people with hope. Without the resurrection, one can only pity Jesus as a dead martyr whose lofty ideals were sadly misunderstood. Also, this is why we do not believe that Jesus' death was a messy, tragic accident, but the surprising victory of God over the forces of evil. What we now call Holy Week was not going particularly well from the outside, as it were. It was a dark week of spiritual warfare when Satan believed that he had won. But actually, the truth is far from it. For Christ's resurrection, if I can put it like this, is the crown jewel that sits in our crown of faith. Without it, Jesus would be rightly be deemed a crazy man, a religious fool, or perhaps simply deluded. Without the resurrection, nothing in Christianity adds up. It just doesn't make sense. Without it being front and center, we have nothing. All across the world today, men and women are celebrating this resurrection. The belief within the Christian church that Jesus Christ, three three days after he died, rose again. Not a little while not to die like what had happened with Lazarus or Jairus' daughter or the widow's son when they were raised from the death. This is a hugely different scenario for they were raised in their old bodies and they died a a second time. Jesus is the only person in history who has been raised from the dead and who will never die again. 
This fact is what sets the resurrection teaching apart from anything else in the religious world. Not that someone who was dead was simply resuscitated, not, not, not at all, but that Jesus, after he was died, after he died, was brought back to life with a new body, and as I said, will never die again. Why does this matter? Well, it does for us as followers of Jesus. It has a profound impact on the way we view the world, on the way we understand our place in the world, and how we understand our role and purpose as the body, as the church of Jesus Christ in Hamilton today and throughout New Zealand, especially in these important and crucial days. It affects why we get up in the morning. It has a huge core message for everything that we do. Everything is changed by the message of resurrection. Everything has a wonderful slant on it, if I can put it like that, from how we worship to how we live, what we can expect to see in our lives, and ultimately what we hope for. Everything is now different. But what does it mean for us if we're not Christians? Does the resurrection have any kind of message for our society? to where we live today, I believe it does, and we will come to that. 100 years or so ago, the theologians of the day didn't believe in the resurrection, and they saw it as a metaphor for something else, because they did not believe, they could not comprehend that Jesus had been raised from the dead. This was an accurate reflection, sadly, of the established church of that day, and most theologians, most clerics, didn't believe that Jesus his resurrection was true or valid. However, and this is quite surprising, approximately 10 to 12 years ago, a survey of the Anglican leadership and the bishops of the Church of England across the world showed that every one of them believed in the resurrection. Something is happening, something is changing. Whereas a century ago, there was a lot of theology, clever men and women writing words about who Jesus was and what he did, but who argued that, just as I mentioned, that the resurrection was a metaphor or a simile or a parable. But now more than ever, Christian theologians and Christian writers are coming back to this crucial event, the resurrection, because it is at the very heart of what we believe as followers of Christ. That the physical, historical, real-time, evidential proof of this event is rapidly becoming beyond doubt. If we are to be true to the historical narrative, there is more historical proof for the life and resurrection of Christ than there is for Julius Caesar, and we never doubt his existence. As a faith movement, I believe that we have been bullied by secularism and by religious and political bias of the secular press and the scholars of history. My wish is that we would be a people who would grasp and understand and regain what history tells us about Jesus and his resurrection and that it will excite and ignite something in us and inspire us like never before. That inspirational reading that we have, that the tomb is empty. Our reading tells us about the morning of the resurrection day. And when John writes the words, on the first day and when it was still dark, these are no ordinary words, despite the fact that they may be familiar words to us and they don't actually hit us as being significant. John is taking the Hebrew, the Jewish reader, back in their minds and in in their understanding to when the world was created. 
John is using familiar terms here to a first century Jewish reader who is steeped in the Old Testament. We may not grasp this immediately, but the reader at this time would have known this is the same language, same language as Genesis 1. To the reader, John is saying, remember what you know, remember what you believe about what God did in Genesis chapter one. Well, I am telling you another story. Today, creation has started all over again. Here we have new creation. John is writing in such a way that this is Genesis one language all over again. This is creation narrative, but it is different and the reader would have got it instantly. Remember on that first day, (coughs) well this is as magnificent, if not even more so. On that morning some 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, (coughs) as Mary realized Jesus wasn't there, hope was being born out of darkness, light was being born out of despair, The spirit was hovering over the darkness and you know the world has never been the same again since this story broke. It was the creation story all over again, but this time they were part of it. It is now their story, it is now their narrative. And likewise, every one of us listening today who call ourselves Christians, who say that we are followers of Christ, Do so because on that morning, Jesus sat up and rose from the dead and conquered death and hell and Hades have all lost their power. It's now our story. So today we join with millions across the world to celebrate new creation and that Jesus is alive. Jesus being able to change us and transform us and renew us. That is why it is so important. Well, firstly, it is important because we don't serve a dead God. We serve a living God, a God who is, if I can put it like this, alive and well, a God who knows exactly what we are going through right now in this generation. This fact alone marks Christianity as different from every other faith conceived. Secondly, we serve a risen savior who rose from the dead and conquered sin itself. That morning in Jerusalem, the world, as I said, was changed forever, never to be the same again. And since then, Christians have gathered on the first day of the week, not the last like those of a different faith, but the first day because we gather to remember that God's purposes are being worked out in this world, enabled by and because of Jesus' resurrection. You may feel as if you're in a dark place today. It's understandable. But there is hope for us. There is hope for all of us because of the resurrection story. You may feel that, yeah, that's great, Chris, but God seems to be nowhere to be found. Well, the message of this gospel is very, very simple. God is amongst us and he wants to meet us where we are at. Not where we think we should be or where others think we should be, He will meet us at our point of need. I'm not sure how this year started off for any of us, and some, I'm sure it was good, and some it was not so good. But this season, what we find ourselves in is unprecedented. That seems to be a word that I'm using and other people are using all the time, but it is true. But even in these unprecedented days, there is hope because of Resurrection Sunday. We have hope above all else. The old hymn that says we have a hope, 
that is steadfast and certain is as true now as when it was written. Hope probably above all else is the thing that is missing in our world today. And I said earlier on, is there any implications if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ? Are there any implications about Resurrection Sunday? Yes, I firmly believe there is. And this is the main one, that we as followers of Christ have hope above everything else. Our lives can be full of material stuff, but for many in our community who don't know Jesus, they would give it all for a hope that is steadfast and certain. Just to compare two very influential men of different periods and their different sense of hope and their sense of um, optimism, Uh, they are completely different, but the difference is Christ. Bertrand Russell, the 20th century philosopher and agnostic wrote these words, no dungeon was ever constructed so dark and narrow as that in which the shadow physics of our time imprison us. For every prisoner has believed that outside his walls a free world exists, but now the prison has become the whole universe. There is darkness without, and when I die, there is darkness within. There is no splendor, there is no vastness anywhere. Only a triviality for a moment and then nothing. Why live in such a world? Russell was an agnostic, he was a philosopher, he was anti anything to do with Christian faith, and he was actually a Welshman, just born about 25, 30 minutes from my own home. However, compare those words with this of Tommaso Campanella. He, sa- he was a Dominican friar, born in the 16th century and a leading artist and philosopher of his time. He was a fascinating character from history and was often at odds with the authorities of his day, both religious and political. Today, he would be called an influencer. He was vilified for his support of Galileo and he feigned madness to avoid losing life during the Inquisition. But when teaching his students to paint Christ, he told them to do this. Paint Christ, not dead, but alive with his foot set in scorn on the split rock with which they sought to hold him down. Paint him the conqueror of death. Paint him the Lord of life. Paint him as what he is, the irresistible victor to the uttermost who was tested to the uttermost, has proved himself in every deed mighty to save. Ironically, for many years, some in the church of that day considered Campanella a heretic because he challenged the emphasis of the church that they put it on Christ's death and not the resurrection. He got into trouble for celebrating the resurrection as he did, but he had something. He knew the truth of the power of what Easter Sunday meant. C.S. Lewis says, he, Christ, has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of a new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has opened, said like only C.S. Lewis could. So today, not only do we serve a living God, John 20 says that we also serve a risen savior. Colossians 2 tells us that he has conquered sin. I want us to see in 1 Corinthians 15 that the next thing is that he has defeated death itself. As we know, he not only rose from the death, he defeated death itself. We 
need not fear death anymore. The thing that arguably scares people the most, provokes the most question is death. Again, just alluding again to our society, it is nervous about death. The overwhelming people, amount of people who don't have Christ don't want to talk about that. I know some people who will refuse to talk about death because they don't even want to go there in their mind. And that is not uncommon in our society today. So therefore, when we study the New Testament, it's not a coincidence that of the 27 books, 16 in one way or another are grounded in the idea of the resurrection, in the reality that Jesus once lived, once died, and rose again. One example of this is when Luke is writing the book of Acts. He writes these verse, this verse, it's Acts chapter one, verse three. It says this about Jesus. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. <coughs> Again, quite straightforward for us in the English language, just telling us the reality of what it was. But John, uh, I should say, uh, Luke is unpacking something quite profound here. He says, Jesus wanted to explain himself with convincing proof in regard to his life and resurrection. Jesus wanted the proof. Jesus wanted people to see him, to hear him. He wanted to go amongst some of the people. And the Greek word here, used here by Luke, is crucial to our understanding of what he is trying to say. The word that he is using here is tekmyrion. I'm I'm not sure my pronunciation's right, but tekmyrion, and it means irrefutable evidence. You see, Acts, as we know, is written to the Greeks, and the author assumes an educated Greek-speaking audience for his books. So they would know the word tekmyrion. He knows that they would understand the implications and appreciate, because of their Greek education, that this was a very important word And Tecmirion was made famous by the father, as it were, of Greek theology, Aristotle. Some 300 years, Aristotle, in his work titled On Rhetoric, had written that for anything to be proven and concluded as truth, that there had to be, and this is the word, Tecmirion. There had to be proof, there had to be evidence in order to make an argument irrefutable. So by using this word, Luke is saying, the father of your knowledge, Aristotle, said that if something was true and right, you must have irrefutable evidence. Tecmyrion, and we have it here. Jesus, having rose from the dead, having been murdered, by showing himself time and time again, he himself For the time that he walked before his ascension, he became the tekmyrion, the irrefutable evidence of the resurrection. Luke is taking something that is very familiar and accepted in their culture and says, this is what Christ did. The measuring stick that you used for something to be true, that was given to you by Aristotle, Jesus took and gave us that evidence, proving beyond doubt that he ascended, uh, that he arose. See, in the early church, of the 11 who were faithful to Jesus, 10 of these were willing to die 
rather than to deny Jesus and say that they didn't see the resurrected Christ. They didn't turn away from him. This is quite incredible. But if we see something of what is going on at this time culturally, we will see even greater power of this story. You see, in the decades before and after Jesus' life and death, there were dozens dozens of messianic movements in Israel. They just was something that was happening in that time. I think it probably was a precursor for the the real Messiah coming. Not something that we have a concept of today, really, but this was a common phenomenon in those days. It was, in every case, virtually every case, these messianic leaders were killed and they were often executed. And the leader's death each time led to the movements collapsing. Everybody went home and that was the end. So lots of them, most of them died and they all faded out. Of all the dozens of movements, only one did not collapse after the death of the leader, Josephus tells us. Not only did it not collapse, it exploded. In the course of about 300 years, it had spread through the entire Roman Empire Out of all these messianic movements, what made the Christian faith different is this. The first century Christians and writers knew it to be true because they had seen Jesus had risen from the dead. The the resurrection was as inconceivable for the first disciples, as impossible for them to believe as it is for many people to to believe today. And granted, their reasons would have been different from ours because the Greek did not believe in a resurrection. In the Greek worldview, the afterlife was a liberation of the soul and not the body. For them, the body was never gonna be part of the afterlife. For the Jews, some of them believed in a future general resurrection when the entire world would be renewed. But they had no concept of an individual rising from the dead. The people of Jesus' day were not predisposed to believe in the resurrection. But this is what marks this messianic movement out as completely different because the leader had been seen alive. Celsus, a Greek philosopher who lived in the second century AD, was highly agnostic to Christianity. In fact, he probably hated would be better to say. And he wrote a number of works listing arguments against it and against Christ. And one of the arguments he believed most telling went like this. He said, Christianity can't be true because the written accounts of the resurrection are based on the testimony of women. And we know women are hysterical. And many of Celsus readers would have agreed with them, for this was a major, major problem. You see, in ancient societies, as we know, women were marginalized, and the testimony of women was never given any credence. So, to help us grasp this, see, if the gospel writer and the earlier Christians were making up these stories, if they were trying to create a story in order to get the movement off the ground, as it were, they would never have written women into the story as the first eyewitnesses of Jesus' empty tomb. The astute thing would have been to leave them out. The only possible reason for the presence of women in these accounts is that they really were present and actually reported what they saw. That the stone had been rolled away, 
that the tomb is empty and an angel declared that Jesus is risen. Throughout the years, journalists and lawyers have tried to disprove Jesus' death and his resurrection. They have tried to say that there is no evidence to support it. it. Many of you will have read a, a book by a guy called Frank Morrison in the early 20th century who set out to disprove the resurrection and he ended up writing a book, Who Moved the Stone? As I said, many of us will read it. It's a good book, but he starts out to disprove it like a lawyer would come to a case, but he says the evidence is irrefutable. Some of us will be familiar with the author, Josh McDowell, who wrote the classic Evidence Demands a Verdict. Someone more recently, uh, a guy called Lee Strobel, who wrote the book, Case for Christ. When his wife became a Christian, he decided that he was gonna research and prove to her that Christianity was erroneous, but he failed to do so and he ended up giving his life to Jesus and has become one of the greatest 21st century apologists. All three men set out to disprove Christ. All three of them ended up giving their lives to him. See, Jesus conquered death. He dealt with it head on, not just simply at Calvary, but for eternity to come. The resurrection brings joy, hope, life, and meaning, even in such days. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then of all men, we would be most miserable. And that would be true. But having said this, he goes on with full certainty because he says, he appeared to me and he says, death is swallowed up in victory. O grave, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? As I start to bring this to a close today, of all the many things we can say about ourselves, one thing is true if we are followers of Christ, is that we are a people of hope. In a hopeless world, we have incredible hope because the cross and the resurrection point forward to a coming king. That one day, Jesus is gonna come and he's gonna take us to be with him, whether it be from the grave or whether it be from here on earth. Paul says that the appearance of the grace of God at Christ's first coming trains us to wait eagerly for our blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Need to remind ourselves, you know, Jesus is coming again. And the resurrection points forward to it. But we have a hope today because we can look back to the, uh, to the resurrection. In such days, I cannot think of a better title to have over our lives apart from the one that we are a people of hope. Because of Christ's death and Christ's resurrection, we have something that can never be taken away from us. I remember telling this story oh, about 18 months ago and uh, At the end of 2016 and the beginning of 2017, Rick Warren, arguably the most influential church pastor alive today, he declared 2017 as the year of hope. He says, if we can't declare it, then who can? And it wasn't some shallow call to deny reality or to deny and ignore suffering and sadness and illness, but for Christians to realize that in the midst of life, 
we have this incredible hope. A call to realize afresh that we have something that only God can give to people. And he wanted to call us out of hopelessness to that place where we say, yes, Jesus credibly brings us hope. And he says these words, and how prophetic has this been? He said, our hope is not in who we put in the White House, but in whom we put on the cross. So as we gather, wherever you gather over this Easter Sunday, and all that is happening around us, I would like to remind us that because of Jesus, we have a hope that is steadfast and certain. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.